Welcome back to Coaches Exploring Clarity. And today we have a very special guest, the author himself, uh, Sunday Times bestselling author, coach and mentor, Jamie Smart. So thank you so much, Jamie, for being here with us today. It's a pleasure to wrap up this program with a personal appearance. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I've really been looking forward to this. Awesome. I, I don't. I know you've been following along a little bit with what we've been doing, but we've we've currently got twenty seven episodes. Uh, I think we've been doing this for something like three months now. The last, I, I think, six or seven episodes, we've had a guest, so another coach from our, uh, mostly from our CPP program that we were on, had joined us each week, which added a, a huge element to this program. I calculated we've got roughly seventeen hours of recorded content published on uh, exploring clarity. And I know so speaking for uh, myself, Elaine and Lynn, uh, this process for for all of us has been amazing to go really deep into the book and uh, given us a whole new level of appreciation for what you've put on paper. So uh, it's been awesome. Well, and it's great to hear, you know, I think for any author, it's uh, great news to hear that anyone's reading their book or anything like that. But but the fact that you guys have been motivated and inspired to explore it and study it and go deep into it and see what comes of it for yourselves and for your own clients and that sort of thing. It's just incredibly and incredibly heartening and encouraging for me. So I love that you're doing this. Yeah, great. And the way this idea came about a few weeks ago, we had Abby on and Lynn had said something about wondering why Jamie put this quote and this quote together. And somebody said, well, I don't know, we should just ask him. And then the idea is, well, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's invite them on. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes after the call was done, we set this up and and here we are. So it, it kind of spontaneous uh, inspiration kind of happening in the moment. So what we'll do is uh, the three of us will kind of throw questions at you and you can answer them as you see fit. And uh, and we'll just get right into it. So I'll invite Lynn or Elaine, somebody to jump in with the question one and we'll go from there. I. Uh... Looking right at the beginning, the the, the preface, um, and it, you know, you 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 state very clearly why you're writing this book, you know, and, and how it's developed from the first edition. But what sparked your interest to do that? To to write the new book, to write the new edition, or to to, to want to share what you're sharing in the second edition. Well, they the. The, so the thing that sparked my interest in the first place and really got me going was was exploring this understanding had made a huge difference in my own life. And I really saw that that this understanding could do so much uh, for so many people in terms of uh, their own well-being, their confidence, their uh, solutions to their own challenges and issues in their own lives. And and I kind of, I kind of saw. It, it's interesting that the first edition of the book starts out with a quote uh, from, I think it was Herbert Simon, who said, um, "What information consumes is rather obvious. It consumes the attention of the recipient." So that was in 2013 that that was published. It was written in 2012, and that was before social media algorithms were well understood. It was before, you know iPhones and what had like they were already out, but they weren't kind of consuming people's attention the way they are now. Uh, and and what I really saw kind of 10 years later is that 
the the collision of the information revolution with a misunderstanding of how our experience is created. And like, if you stop and think about it for a moment, as a species, we don't have any experience of going through the kind of transformation that we're going through in the face of digital technology. We've got nothing like that. Like the the closest thing was the industrial revolution, which bought, you know, electricity and light and, and all kinds of things. And, and the, the things that happened with the industrial revolution led to something like a tenfold increase in quality of life on average on the planet Earth, which is pretty amazing for human beings. Um, we don't know what the information revolution equivalent is going to be. And there are some ways in which the information revolution could theoretically mean, you know, a, a hundredfold increase in quality of life or the opposite. You know, the, the, it's a huge social experiment that's taking place. So it, it looked to me like there, there are two things that made the the publication of a new edition even more kind of urgent and important one was well it's interesting in in uh the 1800s the collision of the industrial revolution with a misunderstanding of germs germ theory that sort of thing led to a humanitarian crisis in physical health you know the you had millions of people moving into cities and so these huge hospitals were set up and that sort of thing and infection was out of control and that was largely resolved uh by uh germ theory becoming or you know the orthodoxy and uh surge you know antiseptic surgical surgical procedures being adopted and that sort of thing well we're in an analogous situation with the information revolution colliding with a misunderstanding of the principles and the two things that strike me are really powerful and important. One, and this is sort of where I finished the book, actually. One is the, the impact uh, of the information revolution on much human psychology and well-being has been kind of negative so far. And understanding these principles can help people navigate that, can help people find their well-being uh, in the face of a dizzying array of you know, messages of one sort or another. But the other thing is we're in huge need of wisdom to guide us at this time. Like their technology and the various forms of technology we have access to are incredibly powerful tools. Uh, but the impact of a tool is, is largely going to be a function of the wisdom of the person wielding it. And as a as a societies and as a species, there's a real uh, it's a re there's a real mixed bag when it comes to how much wisdom is being wielded in the the brandishing of these tools. And uh, you know the jury's out on that. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think we need all the wisdom we can get. And so those two factors, it seems to me, wisdom and well being, they're sort of like. What one of them's the feel better side of things, and the other is do the do better side of things. So that that seems to me anyway, like an even more uh, uh, timely reason 
uh, for an updated edition. Plus, I guess the other thing is, like when I wrote the, I first started drafting Clarity in like February or March, 2011. So I'd been exploring the principles for just over two years when I started writing, I wrote the first draft of that book. By the time it was published, 2013, I'd been exploring the principles for four years. Well, that was, uh, that, now I've been exploring them for 14, year, 14 years. And there's a lot of, like, I, when I read the first edition of Clarity, I'm like, good job, but plenty of room for improvement on that one. And, and to, you know, to some degree, like the, the principles had profoundly impacted my life. So they already made a huge difference, but there was only that much of it that I could actually put into words. Well, now they've made an even bigger difference in my life. And there's like that much of it that I can put into words. So that there's the challenge of trying to take something that's profoundly transformational and translate it into words on the page. And uh, only a certain amount of that gets into pen and ink but uh uh yeah I, I think i'm seeing it clearer now so it was great to have an opportunity to update it from that perspective as well Fabulous. you want to go next lynn yes please <laughs> um before uh greg hit record jamie you this was not one of my questions but here we go uh you referred to message timing and poetry and throughout this whole series we have often commented and I don't know how it's come out but geez I wonder um, how he decided to put this bit here and look at the flow here and how the paragraphs are flowing together and the message is cut it's sort of like the message started like this and it came to it came to a point so when you said message timing and poetry it's like how did you come about that? How did that arise for you, and how did it develop? Two ways. So, so the the first the first way, um, like the all of my written work, how I write is how I speak. So I the, there's a process I go through, which is I'll have ideas or insights or a way of thinking about things. And often those will come up while I'm coaching someone or while I'm teaching a course or while I'm talking to someone. And then there's a process by which the, the articulation of that message and the value of that message gets refined. So I may write it out in an article and then I may, let's say, let's say I have an idea uh, during a coaching session where I convey, let me give you an example. I was, I was teaching a, a taster session for coaches a, a month or so ago. And during the session, I, someone asked a question. It was someone who was very new to the principles, but had a, I think they had a background in martial arts. And they, they, were, they were trying to understand why principles were even relevant. And this is someone who had a ton of experience as a coach, like 20 plus years experience as a coach, but it hadn't come across these principles before. And it was kind of like, why, why are they relevant? Or what, what, what's the value in it? And I said, well, the, the inventor of Aikido, uh, Morihei Ueshiba, uh, was once asked, 
And this is, this is a guy who's a brilliant martial artist, right? And he was once asked, uh, do you ever use weapons? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, if I'm uh, in, a, in a conflict, I use the biggest weapon I can find, the earth. Because he understood that the, the principle of gravity, he had such a nuanced understanding of it that he could use it any way he wanted. And, and I said that there's like this huge value that comes from having an understanding of pre-existing facts. And that'll do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So I used this, I used this in, it just came to me in this taster session. And then I've found myself using it to explain things to clients one-to-one -one and in another, why well, wouldn't be surprised if I end up writing an article about it or something like that. So there's that, that loop whereby, uh, an idea comes to me and it may go into print first and then, or it may be in a coaching session first, or it may be in a group session first. But after a period of time, I've, I've, I've had time to kind of learn that metaphor or learn that way of talking about things. So I've, I've, I've kind of, this is going to sound like I'm up my own bum, but you, they, they say when stand-up comedians first write a new joke or something like that, they then need to go try it out in their act and they refine it and they tweak it and they tune it until it it's really landing right. And I kind of see it like that, like the, the, what a, when an idea or a metaphor or whatever it might be first or a way of explaining something first comes to me, it's, it's a, it's a starting point, but it's not necessarily that great. So it takes me some time to find out what's the, where are the right places to put the emphasis, the timing, that sort of thing. Now, sometimes it just comes out and it's the perfect thing at the perfect time. But often, at least when it comes to teaching and writing, it's something that's tried and tested. Like, like there's stuff in Clarity, the first edition, that I loved, but that actually, I loved when I wrote it, but it actually didn't uh, stand the test of time. Give you a great example the at the back of the first edition of clarity there's a section called innate thinking and i use the term innate thinking all the way through it and i i came up with this idea innate thinking a great way to talk about the principles and that sort of thing it was a great idea but i never used it it was in the book and then i never used like it it was it was great on paper but didn't translate into the real world so that was a good lesson for me like you've got to be careful of that sort of thing. So the first way that I developed the timing, the rhythm, all that sort of stuff is through that learning loop of kind of coaching, training, writing, coaching, you know, speaking, writing, like they're, they're finding out what actually lands with people, what makes sense with people, what hits the spot with people. That's the first way. But then the second way is when I wrote the first edition of Clarity, uh, it was a like it was a quite a big book. It's probably like sixty thousand words or something like that. And uh, when I got invited to write the little book of clarity, the publisher said it needs to be half the size. You need to get rid of half the words. Well, that was kind of an interesting challenge because it forced me to trim it down to just the essential parts. What absolutely has to be there? And then, and, and as well gave me an opportunity to clean things up. Cause even when I wrote the little book of clarity, I was a couple of years deeper into the learning. So I, it gave me a chance to clean things up. When I came to write uh, the new edition of clarity, 
I thought, well, what happens if I use the little book of clarity as the starting point and then only add back in the things that either really I missed from the first edition or things that look so much clearer to me now and that sort of thing. So what you'll find is that the the new edition of Clarity is roughly the same amount of words as the first edition, maybe even a little more, uh, but it's a lot tighter and cleaner and more precise and simple. Uh, so there's a, new, a big new chapter at the end that has case studies and all that sort of stuff. So that's all new material. But then a lot of the stuff in the book itself is is sharper and clearer and more kind of pared back. And then there's the what the research says sections at the end of each chapter, which I really I just thought it was a really nice opportunity to give people a an opportunity to read around the topic. So anyway, the two ways are number one, through that learning loop that I mentioned, and then number two, through brutal editing. Just basically taking taking a machete to everything that doesn't need to be in there, and there's a there's an old writer saying, which is you need to be willing to kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. And often the things I've taken out of books for the little book of uh, the little book of clarity, the little book of results, are some of my favorite bits. But they're the bits that weren't essential to keeping the flow going. Nice. Thank I you. love the uh, reference to a comedian practices a bit because I, when you go and watch a comedian and, and maybe you see them over and over again, you realize, oh, they're doing the same material, but it's so uh, precise and so like, I don't know, they've just got it down so so well. You laugh your butt off every time, even if you've heard the joke a thousand times. So it's uh, I love that metaphor. Well, they have to. It's funny. I can't remember who it was, but someone, uh, someone, it may, it may have been... Uh, now I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the big comedians. Uh, and someone said, "Oh yeah, your your uh, comedians are artists," and they said, "No, no, comedians are craftsmen, craftspeople." Mm-hmm. They said, "What do you mean? What's the difference?" He said, "Look, art is subjective. One person can see a work of art and think it's a masterpiece. Someone else sees a work of art, thinks it's terrible. It's subjective. It's in the eye of the beholder." Said comedy, your job is to get up do some stuff and get everyone to laugh in the same place in a predictable way. You got to be able to basically land that plane again and again. And if you don't, no one's going to come to your next performance. (laughs) And that's a craft. I thought, Oh yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I'm not trying to get people to laugh. I'm, I'm trying to create the conditions for people to have insights and realizations that transform their lives. And that seems to me kind of like a craft. It's it's mm. a craft, like it. It's something that I've been uh, practicing and learning how to do for some time, and and it's something that has benefited from practice and learning and study and that sort of thing. And it's the same with the books. You know, the the idea of the book is to to be able to land that plane for people in the area based on my experience here's the learning journey that will help people get a deeper understanding of the this stuff we're pointing to and here are the obstacles they're likely to run up against now how can i help them clear those obstacles on the way nice the uh this experience of of having read the book kind of front to back and then going back each week and rereading the chapter and highlighting things and then rereading it again and then talking about it for 
30 minutes to an hour each week. It's, it's such a different experience than just reading the, a book. Um, and one of the things that jumped out at me and I went back and counted you, your clarity equation, clarity equals capacity minus contamination. I counted 22 times that that graphic <laughs> appears in the book. So I'm like, okay, I think this is important. um so i thought i'd ask you about that like the the that seems to be a drum you're banging over and over again at least in the first half of the book Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you could uh, enlighten us as to why that is and what's so important about that equation well the from my perspective the 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 story of that equation actually i was doing a um i was doing intensive uh with a uh, a corporate client and I was like half an hour, maybe not even that long into the first session. And he goes, hey, this isn't working for me. And this guy's paid me a ton of money. We've got three days in this luxury hotel. We're very first session. He's like, this isn't working for me. He goes, I'm going to need an equation for how this is going to work. And I'm like, shit, I haven't got an equation. I've I've just got this understanding. Oh, God, what am I going to? And I'm like freaking out, right? Mm. Uh, On the inside. And then it hits me. Where do you believe your experience is coming from? And I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out uh, because of something that's going on in my own mind, not because of something that's going on in the world. So I immediately settle down and then it comes to me. And, And I write on the, I said, here's your equation. I said, you plus a misunderstanding equals stuck. And he was like, because that was what was going on for him. He'd done great in his career and all this stuff, built built successful businesses. And, and now he was stuck in purpose and work and all this stuff as something wasn't right. I said, you plus a misunderstanding equals stuck. He's like, I like it. That's excellent. I said, oh, it gets better. He had been telling me about how when he was a teenager, he used to be like really spontaneous and full of fun and life and all this sort of stuff. And like at the time we were working together, he had one of those big wrinkly foreheads of tension and that sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, Uh, so I go, it gets better. I said, you plus misunderstanding equals stuck. You minus a misunderstanding equals spontaneity, freedom, clarity, love, peace, connection, joy, creativity. He's like, I'm in. Brilliant. That's just the ticket. So we're like, okay, let's go. Now, here's the interesting thing. I told that story. This is the process I was talking to Lynn about, right? I told that story to people and I found that that idea of it, the idea that you minus a misunderstanding equals everything you're looking for. And I thought, actually, that's a really great way of talking about the power of these principles because most approaches are additive. They give you things to do and practice and memorize to change the way you see the world, the way you think, all that sort of, and get the results you want, which is fine. But the thing that seems profound and unique about this understanding, it it's relentlessly subtractive. And that, as I as I reflected on it, I thought, well, that's actually true of the nature of principles themselves. When you get an understanding of how some aspect of life already works, 
it clears away misunderstanding. You go, oh, I get it. And, and a whole bunch of stuff that looked complex or was over-engineered or whatever suddenly disappeared and is replaced with something elegant and simple. And, and I thought, well, that's the nature of how this works. And so it became the clarity equation. You know, clarity uh, equals, we have this innate capacity for resilience, for insight, for transformation, for well-being, peace, love, all those innate qualities. And clarity emerges when the contamination caused by the outside in misunderstanding is removed. So it's subtractive. And and because the subtractive nature of this seems to be the thing that distinguishes it from everything else out there, pretty much in terms of psychology, everything else is pretty much additive. Uh, I thought it 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 really made sense to underline it. So the the reason for the clarity equation to get repeated so frequently is because people aren't really used to something that's subtractive. There, in a way, if you start and think about it, our ego, our our intellect, however you want to think about it, it it's additive. It's it's oriented to the additive. So uh, that's why you know people. Every magazine publisher knows that they if they want to sell a bunch of magazines in the summer, they put just need to put you know five tips to a swimsuit body or the five best holiday locations or the five best foods to eat to make sure you, I don't know, lose weight while you sleep or whatever it might be. They know that five tips or six secrets or seven keys or whatever, that the conscious mind goes, oh, give me some of that additive crap, right? Like it's, it, the, the, it, we love it. But it doesn't tend to be that effective. The stuff that really works, that really makes a difference, tends to be subtractive. So it was a way of underlining that, I guess. I love it. I love the simplicity of it too. It's uh, and even though it's simple, I mean, you could probably talk for hours just on each of those components of the equation. So I love sure. It. Yeah, and Jamie, with that that idea of of subtractive, which you know, as you say it, it just sounds so dead simple, like obvious, is it? Is it not? And yet many of us struggle to actually uh, get a grasp of that idea and to be able to um, embody it, embrace it in, in their lives, just, and, and also in the context of looking how over time, and I'm talking about the hundreds of years that have brought us through the various eras, let's say, so through from the Industrial Revolution right through the Technological Revolution to now, which we're considering a paradigm shift. Uh, I'm wondering what you envisage as a or sort of or forecast even that with this information, um, what, what could be the key to making it available more quickly? to the, the naturally slow processing of the human mind? Well, it's interesting. That the uh, First of all, I owe a hat tip to the author uh, Nassim Taleb, who wrote a book, one of my favorite books called Anti-Fragile. And it was him that first kind of put this, uh, this idea of uh, the power of subtraction on like brought that into my consciousness um uh i i i'll see if i can find i 
I talked about it in my book results, uh, but I can't remember if I, uh, no, I can't see it here. I don't want to waste your guys' time while I look. Oh, I have a feeling this might be quite interesting to you guys. So if you'll if you'll bear with me for another fifteen seconds, I'll no, see. We, we love we love it that you waste our time, Jamie. We just <laughs> <laughs> um, we're all ears. I, <laughs> turn to one hundred and eleven. No, I'm struggling to find it. Uh, I'll have one more look. Ah, 71 to 74. Maybe we got it. Yeah, so I said in his fascinating book, Anti-Fragile, best-selling an author and risk analyst, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, explains that we tend to be suckers for positive advice, what he calls positive advice. The additive approaches offered by how-to books, government interventions, crash diets, medication prescriptions, get-rich-quick schemes, etc. When people are looking for additive approaches, they're asking the question, what do I need to add to my life, myself, my skills, my personality to make me more X and less Y? And the structure of the additive approach is you plus the additive approach equals super you, right? It's the you you want to be. I just need to add this thing in. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't usually work. And it turns out that subtraction is, it's kind of counterintuitive, but that's where the power is. Now, how do you get people to see that faster? Well, I think there are a couple of ways. One way is it seems that, it seems that there's this thing called the network effect. I think I mentioned it. Yeah, I mentioned it in uh, the new edition of Clarity, which is you can an easy way of imagining it is when when only one person had a fax machine, it was a pretty useless thing. But once a thousand people had fax machines, it was much more valuable. Or when only one pe person had a phone or an email address or whatever, it's not much use. So the value of the network, if I remember correctly, the value of the network increases as a function of, I don't know, the square of the number of nodes in the network or something like that. So if you think of it like two mobile phone companies, so let's imagine for a moment, there were only two mobile phone companies in the world and you're either with one of them or the other one. Well, as each subscriber moves from one phone company to the other, that new phone company gets more power and the other one gets weaker. Well, I think it's also true with this understanding. I think it's easier to learn it easier to grasp it, to grok it today than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, A, because more people get it at a deep level, but also there are all these ways of learning about it and that sort of thing. Um, how to make it more quickly learnable? Well, that's what I put a bunch of my time, energy, and effort into. And I'd love to say, yeah, we come on by leaps and bounds, but yeah, it, it's... Uh, because it's well, it's kind of interesting. The the thing that is going to have someone see this in a meaningful way is going to be their own insight, right? So there's no there's good news and bad news in that. One one piece of uh, good news is that there's no hierarchy in terms of insight. 
like any any one of us could have an insight before the end of this call that has us seeing the truth of reality and of our nature even more deeply than Sid Banks did, right? Like that potential exists within every human being, regardless of their educational attainment, regardless of whether they went to university, regardless of whether they got told they were a slow learner when they were a kid, regardless of how much they read or don't read, regardless of how long they've spent exploring this understanding or not. There's no, uh, there's no hierarchy. There's no progression path. Anyone can have an insight into the truth of this understanding anytime under any conditions and at least at the level of principle, could be skyrocketed to seeing it more deeply than anyone you you or me have ever met, right? Like that. And that potential is there for every single human being. Now, most of us aren't used to that as a learning pathway, right? We're used to something much more incremental. And yeah, well, first you get your... I don't know, white belt, and then you get your yellow belt, and then you get your green belt, and that sort of thing. The, we, we've got this idea of linear progression, which makes sense because for most, you know, for most of our history as human beings, we've lived in a world that where the most important things that we're aware of were linear. You know, if you wanted to go from here to over there, you'd have to take a hundred linear steps. And if a animal is 10 times as big as you, you need to act accordingly and all that sort of stuff. So we've evolved for a world which the world of form is predominantly linear and increase. And, you know, if you want to be 10 times better than someone else at guitar, you got to practice way more and all that sort of stuff. So in the world of the physical linearity kind of makes sense. But at the spiritual level, learning is exponential. You know, Sid Banks used to say, one insight can jump you ahead 10 years. And I think what he was referring to was in terms of how long it might take someone to make that progress in a linear way. And I've seen that in my own life. And I've seen that in the lives of my clients. One insight can absolutely transform an aspect of your life or your work or anything because it it takes away all the misunderstanding and leaves you seeing reality more clearly. So, uh, so the 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 good news, bad news. The good news is uh, there's it's an exponential learning curve rather than a linear learning curve, which means anyone, no matter how new to it they are, no matter what ideas they have of themselves, can go from zero to a hundred in a heartbeat. So that's the good news. The bad news is. You don't know when that's going to happen. You don't know, uh, like it's there in potential for all of us, but you don't know how it's going to work. I'll give you a funny example. Uh, I I was talking to someone about, about clarity certification training and they said, oh, well, Jamie, why does it take 10 months? I said, well, you know, it, it, I said, it, it, it doesn't really. I mean, I said, you... you 
the thing that's going to make a difference to you in terms of embedding these skills are going to be the insights you have. You're going to have insights and those insights, you know, they might take less than a second. And in the course of a program, I don't know, maybe you have a dozen of them or something like that. So actually it's probably only 12 seconds that we're on the lookout for. It's just, we don't know when they're going to happen. So you just want to be in the room when, when they're showing up. And it's interesting because often I can gauge, you, you know, you asked about the speed that people are learning at. When I'm looking out at a group of people, I've, I've had the experience where I'm working with a group and we'll, we'll have those experience where the group kind of quietens down. And it's like we all step into that insight friendly space together. And then I'll see one or two people in the group whip out their notepads and start making notes. And I'm like, they just left the room at the very moment when they were most likely to get impacted. So, so I think in the, the, the answer to the question, how can we speed, speed up the rate of, you know, realization, implementation, however you want to put it. It's two things. I think one is, pointing people to the power of insight, the power of realization that everyone has within them. And to some degree, that's going to require, you know, starting with people who are interested. It's one of the reasons I love working with coaches and change workers, because these are people who are interested in that, who are interested in how do people change, how do people transform. So one is seeing, like seeing for yourself, the transformational power that realization and insight offer, you know, because you got if you're going to learn it and you're going to learn it quickly, well, you got to see that it's relevant, that it's worth learning. So that's the first thing, see the value of it. And then the second thing is make it as easy as possible for people to spend time in that insight friendly space. You know, th those look like, but in terms of how you do that, that's what I've been, that's been my project, if you like, for the last 14 years is finding ways to do that with individuals and with groups and through books and that sort of thing. It's still something I find profoundly fascinating. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Awesome. Just on the back end of that, it, it just needed to, rem to, to remind myself, thank you, that I suppose the, the paradox is that insight, that who you really are and what we're talking about and where clarity resides does not know time. And yeah, it's true. I think that's, I think that's, uh, which of course it is difficult for the human to kind of grasp. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, in a way, this points us back to a lot of the wisdom traditions and meditation traditions and that sort of thing. There's a, there's an aspect of each one of us that is, uh, you know, or presence, you could say. And there's a very real way in which all that ever exists is this moment, right? Everything else is apprehended through memory or through imagination or whatever, but all any of us truly have is this moment. Uh, 
And so there's a very real way in which time is an illusion. As Albert Einstein said, albeit a very compelling one. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the, but I think that also points us back to the hopefulness of this. That's why the whole time served piece isn't relevant into, you know, I've been exploring this for 14 years. Well, it tells you I've been up to something for a while, but it doesn't tell you how much, you know, someone could, could rock up tomorrow who, uh, read someone could rock up tomorrow who read one of my books day before yesterday got profoundly impacted spends half an hour talking to me and goes that guy doesn't get it that would be like or or that guy is x x percent has his head up his bum which would be true like i i've seen things that have profoundly impacted my life and i've had ways of talking about them that I now don't talk about. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me to talk about it like that. But at the time, that looked to me like my best stuff, right? And now I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't really put it like that. It was off, but it looked legit at the time. So, you know, you just got to call it like you see it at the time, you know, to the best of your ability. Fabulous. You have another question, Lynn? Uh, I do, but it's kind of the, it'd be like the final question. Were you going to ask what you were going to ask, or do you want me to go with that? Yeah, if you want to hold yours to the last, I'll, I'll go, and then okay. you can wrap us up. So, Jamie, you mentioned earlier the addition of uh, the what the research says component at the end of each chapter. And uh, so I, my initial reaction to that personally was, hey, I'm not really interested in what the research says uh, but the more I, I got into it, the more valuable I, I realized that was. And then I kind of got this feeling like, oh, okay, this is uh, this is for to help bring people along who maybe aren't into the spiritual side or something like. Just it's uh, it, to to stroke their intellectual brain a little bit that you know this stuff is rooted in science. Um, but then I also noticed upon going back and reviewing the book, at the same time as the science aspect of it is ramped up, it seemed to me that the spiritual side of clarity has also been ramp ramped up in this edition, um, pointing to who we really are, the uh, intelligence and wisdom behind life itself, all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious about the balance of those two things in this edition. It's a great question, Greg. And the remember earlier, I said, I said that early on, like within the first year, even of exploring these principles, my life was profoundly impacted. I had insights and realizations that made a huge difference to me in my life. And one of those was seeing something about the true, about true nature, about who I really am. Right. But then when I came to put it into print in like 2011, 12, 13, I didn't even know how to talk about that. I just so I mostly the first edition of clarity was about your feeling thought in the moment. That was the kind of the main theme of it. And yeah, there's this other stuff too. So so part of what I wanted to do with the new edition was to really kind of bring that up to date with now that I was able to talk more coherently and had a 
a, an understanding of who we really are that I was able to share with people. I wanted to bring that into it because it looks, you know, you've heard me say, I'm sure, uh, that I believe the two most valuable things we can discover are how experience is created and who we really are. Well, the first edition of Clarity was mostly about how your experience is created because I didn't really know much to say about who we really are. And I just kind of got that more kind of under my feet now. I've got more a better sense of that. So I wanted to bring that aspect of it as much into my... Uh, as much into what I was sharing in the book as I could. Uh, it seemed like that would make it a better book, uh, make it a better book. Um, if we then jump to the what the research says, my purpose in that was several fold. The, the, my goal with including that in the book uh, and at the end of each chapter was to help the reader build their own reference experience. See, how I how I see it is that if these are pre-existing principles, which I believe they are, then they're there to be seen. And that means almost by definition, they'll be there in all the research as well. But they won't necessarily be pointed out as such because uh, the research doesn't know about the principles for the most part. So I just wanted to to make it as easy as possible for people to see the universality of it. And so it seemed to me, you, you can tell me whether this worked or not, but that, I mean, certainly something I've been doing in my training programs for many years is referring to different pieces of research that kind of shine a light on, you know, that, you know that thing of the five blind men and the elephant and one of them's pulling its tail and it's like, oh, it's a rope. And the other one's got an ear and he's like, oh, it's a weird leather curtain and someone else has got a leg and he's like, no, it's the stump of a tree or whatever. Well, because the thing that's going to have you realize this is your own insights, I'm trying to kind of fill in the, the, the kind of create that that thing for people to kind of feel the different shapes of it, to see the different shapes of it, the different shadows of it in different places so they can grok it for themselves. So it, it also, it was, it was less so that I could convince the reader of anything. It was less about that. It was more to A, make it easier and easier for people to have their own reference experience for their own understanding, to see the, a pre-existing nature of it. But the other thing is I wanted to make it easier for practitioners, coaches, therapists, change workers to have some stuff to fall back on when their own clients were asking them about it, you know, what's the scientific basis for this and that sort of thing. Because ultimately the, the, the experiments that are going to be meaningful to people are the ones they do in their own neurology, right? The ones that they, conduct in their own experience. So it was, it was rather than being, my sense is for someone to read this book and get into it, they've kind of got to let themselves be swept away by the book anyway. Um, and, and given that I think it may even be the first piece of research was about psilocybin mushrooms, <laughs> it's going to, it's not, that's not going to be compelling to every reader anyway, but 
I want people to start, I want people, what I tried to do with the research is point at the way that the principles are showing up throughout these pieces of research in a way that where it might be missed if you didn't know to look for it so that people would build their own reference experience. I'm just going to keep saying build your own reference <laughs> experience until you guys tell me to shut up. So I'll just shut up. <laughs> that makes sense. So that was my purpose in doing it. I didn't, by the way, Greg, I didn't specifically set out to balance the two. Mm. It was more like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm speaking to true identity in this book. So where are the places where that deserves to be in there? And I just didn't know how to write about it before. So that was that one. And then the idea of doing what the research said, just like, I'm going to throw that one of those in at the end of each chapter. And then it became a matter of saying, okay, what things are going to best support which chapters? Mm. Great. Thank you. All right, Lynn, bring us home. Um, well, I'm curious. We've I don't know how many questions we've asked. You probably noticed, Greg. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you hoped we had, Jamie, or any point that you would like to get across that we haven't touched on? Well, there's no question that I'd hoped you'd ask because I hadn't really thought about it in that respect. But is there any point that I'd like to get across? The thing I, I would love for anyone who's made it this far with the conversation is it, it seems to me that the promise, if you like, of this understanding is that you can have a realization in any moment which will have you step into a new world which will kind of turn to a new page in your life, in your experience, that will allow you to start afresh? You know, Sid Banks' first uh, kind of um, fiction, uh, 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 can't remember what, what the correct word for it is, but it, it was a book called Second Chance. And the, the idea of a second chance seems really, really pertinent to this understanding, which is that in any moment, you, you have a, a chance to see all of life afresh, regardless of what may have happened to you, regardless of how long you may have been working on yourself, regardless of your ideas about yourself and the world, in any moment, your, your innate capacity for resilience and realization and transformation, your innate capacity for insight, means that you could see something in any moment, which changes not only how you relate to the world, but changes the world you occupy. Because in a very real sense, you know, the world each of us occupies is a thought-generated world. The, the, while there are some foundational principles that govern how the world you occupy works. So for instance, gravity and electricity and that sort of thing. The... the 
shape, the tone, the color, the feel, the sense of possibility, the things, the love, the connection, the things that really matter in life are a function of a thought-generated construct that seems to us like reality. It seems to us like we're wandering around, each of us, in the way that the world really is and the way that we really are. But all of that can transform in a heartbeat. And in any moment, you can step into a new world. And, and to me, that's the thing that it's so easy for me to overlook. It's so easy for me to believe, even with my understanding of the principles, it's really easy for me to believe, okay, I live in a world that is the way it is, and I could have an insight that will allow me to function better or be more effective or successful or whatever in the world that is the way it is. And what I overlook is, no, in any moment, the world which you have believed was the way it was can transform into a different world. And when that happens, you know, more beauty, more richness, more love, more joy, more peace, more possibility flows into that world and into your life. So uh, that's, that's what is looking fresh to me today. So I, I, uh, I'm glad you asked the question, Lynn. Thank you. I'd have just one tiny, very brief, quick question. That's okay. What next on the book front? Oh, on the book front, well, I'm writing a book uh, for uh, coaches and change workers. Um, I have always, like for, I, I, when I first got into this work, it was because I was fascinated with this idea that there are people who could be so skilled at communicating that they could talk to someone and that person's world would change in a positive direction. That was 25 years ago. I first discovered that that's a thing and I'm still fascinated by it. And my books up until now have been kind of general books that anyone could read, that someone going through an airport or whatever could read and would get value from it. And that's great. I've never written a book that's specifically aimed at showing coaches, therapists, change workers, transformation professionals, what it is that can allow you to have a uh, seemingly magical impact in someone's life. So I'm writing a book about that. That sounds really exciting. Yay. Greg, Lynn, are we going to fix a date in the diary for the next one with Jamie? Yeah, that, that sounds like our next episode, <laughs> our next program. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jamie, I just want to thank That's you for okay. joining us today this has been a, a perfect you. ending to uh several months of exploration on our part so uh it's been a terrific conversation and as always it's been uh, great to be with you well and likewise i i love what you guys are up to i feel very honored to be able to have this conversation with you and uh i i feel very grateful that we have people who are watching and listening and being impacted by it and to be able to do what i do so so thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Thanks, James. Thank you.